What are the objects that define espionage? What secrets lie hiding in plain sight? I'm Alice Loxton, and this is a history of the world in spy objects. What's the most vital tool in the spy's arsenal? A camera? A weapon? A vehicle? Not even close. All of a spy's trickery and toil would be useless without one basic essential. The ability to communicate. My name is Dr. Elizabeth Bruton. I was curator of technology and engineering at the Science Museum London. And I was curator for the top secret exhibition from Cyphers to Cyber Security, which explores over 100 years of the history of code ciphers, secret communications, and more recently, cybersecurity. It will be no surprise to you that Dr. Bruton, expert in the history of covert communications, is selecting a handful of such devices for our archive of espionage history. They used a Morse tape sender, tiny little one-time pads, almost like film-thin material, two radio sets. But for you to understand the importance of these tools, first you need a little context. It's the very beginning of the 1960s. Cold War tensions are ramping up. A message arrives with the government communications headquarters in London from a double agent in Moscow. The agent has discovered that someone is stealing top-secret government information and sharing it with the Russians. The information includes details of the British nuclear submarine program. The police get to work. They target their investigations at the Admiralty Underwater Weapons Research Establishment at Portland on the English coast. They start monitoring the place for anyone who seems suspicious. One employee, a certain Harry Houghton, stands out. Houghton originally worked during the Second World War and afterwards for the Royal Navy. And he was a sort of a troubled personality. He'd gone through a nasty divorce with his wife after he came back to the UK. He was an alcoholic and very probably beat his wife and had a lot of lady friends on the side. Harry Houghton was, in 1960, under the employ of the Royal Navy in the Admiralty Underwater Weapons Establishment. This was where the Navy tested top-secret equipment for underwater warfare. Equipment like nuclear missile heads. Harry Houghton quickly came under suspicion because he was spending a lot of money that probably didn't reflect his paycheck. He'd bought a fancy new car. He was buying rounds of drinks in the local pub. So the police, MI5 and GCHQ started keeping an eye on him, following his movements. He was in the habit of going to London, accompanied by his girlfriend, Ethel G. They'd go to a cafe called Steve's Restaurant near Waterloo Station, and there they'd meet with a man called Gordon Lunsdale. At least, that's what he said his name was. That was his cover story. He grew up in Soviet Russia. Gordon's real name was Conan Melody. He too was soon being followed by the police. He made regular weekend visits to a bungalow in the suburb of North London called Ricelip. At the end of a quiet cul-de-sac called Cranley Drive, 
The house was nothing remarkable. The couple living there were also unassuming. Peter Kroger, an antiquarian bookseller, and his warm, slightly eccentric wife, Helen. MI5 installed themselves in the house opposite, the only other house on Cranley Drive with a view of the Kroger's front door. Each weekend, Gordon Lansdale would arrive and later emerge with a look over the shoulder before disappearing down the footpath behind the Kroger's house. Something about all these meetings between Harry, Ethel and Gordon Lonsdale, and then between Lonsdale and the Krogers, connected and repeated, made the police suspicious enough to act. So in January 1961, all five were arrested simultaneously. Their houses and places of works and so on were searched, and a number of the artefacts that they recovered were taken by the police and MI5. The search of the house in Ryslip revealed a number of unusual instruments, the very ones that Dr. Bruton is presenting to us now. They used a Morse tape sender, tiny little one-time pads, almost like film-thin material, two radio sets. The discovery of these devices confirmed that there was reason to be suspicious of the Krogers and their ring of contacts. But the question was, what story did they tell? It all seemed to be tied in with Peter Kroger's antique bookstore. Peter Kroger was able to send books and letters around the world, and so he was using these to hide these top-secret naval documents and send them. But the documents themselves were never sent, only copies, tiny ones. Microdots, which are where you take a photograph of a document or other image and you shrink it down to the size of a full stop. So photographs of the documents would be printed onto the tiny pads of filmy paper that Dr. Bruton now holds between her fingers. Peter would then enclose these minuscule secrets within the pages of his antiquarian books. But obviously he had to communicate with the Soviet Union as to you know, which books were being sent where and what documents were being hidden and so on. And so he and his wife had two radio sets that they would use to send and receive messages. With little more than a pad of filmy paper and two radio sets, the Portland spy ring had been able to distribute the British Navy's closest guarded secrets to its fiercest enemy all from a sleepy little village in the countryside. But even that had been selected carefully. They chose Ryslip because it's quite close to an RAF base and they thought, well, if we're sending out short bursts of communication, it will sort of get lost in all of the other radio traffic that's in the area. They also chose to live in a cul-de-sac so they could sort of keep an eye of people who were coming and going nearby. And they used a Morse tape sender so they would send the message using Morse code and they would record it in advance on a piece of paper tape and then they would send that through their wireless radio and so it would send in a very high-speed burst, usually lasting a minute or less. The Morse code sender, which is sort of, I suppose, about the size of a small lunchbox. It's sort of a metal casing. So there's wires and knobs and so on, but it's quite a simple, basic radio set that's capable of both transmitting and receiving. 
One of the things that they were quite keen to do was to make sure that none of the components were identifiably from the Soviet Union. So almost all of the components are quite universal and generic electronic parts. None of the components could tie them to the Soviet Union. After they were arrested, the police questioned the suspects about their stories. And slowly, a picture of their motivations emerged. We already know that Harry Houghton was a troubled man, an alcoholic. He was easily manipulated into doing it for money. Ethel G, another part of the chain, she had always said that he had told her that Gordon Lonsdale was an American naval officer who wanted to make sure that Britain was sharing their top secret technology with America. And she'd always insisted that she'd thought that's why they were taking the naval documents. She didn't think or know that they were being passed on to the Soviet Union. So she did it because she loved him, basically. Gordon Lonsdale, or his real name was Malavov, grew up in Soviet Russia and spent some time in California. And he did it sort of for his you know, loyalty to his country. And then the Krogers, whose real name were Cohen, and they were Americans, they were American communists. So they did it for political ideology. In other words, all five members were involved for completely different reasons. And they had as little to do with one another as possible. The various members of the chain were kept as separate as they could be to avoid potentially that if the spying was exposed, all members would be exposed at the same time. But ultimately, because of the collaboration and intense work of the police MI5 and GCHQ, the spying was caught and they were all put on trial and put in prison for various sentences. Conan Melody served four years before being exchanged for a British spy and sent back to Russia. Harry Houghton, Ethel G, and Peter and Helen Kroger all served 10 years. Meanwhile, in the quiet cul-de-sac in Ryslip. Interestingly enough, the house that belonged to the Krogers was sold and the people who lived there about 10 years after the Krogers had been arrested decided to do some refurbishment and they discovered another second radio set that the police in MI5 had not found, which was buried in the garden, which was still actually in pretty good condition and indeed would have been capable of being operated even though it had been buried in their garden for 10 years. How many tradecraft caches just like this one lie undiscovered in sleepy towns in the far corners of the globe. What buried stories might they contain? I'm Alice Loxton. More secrets await in the next episode of A History of the World in Spy Objects from Spyscape Studios. If you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating or leave a review. Ratings and reviews help other people discover the series and help us bring you more episodes like this one. Or why not forward the podcast to a friend? And thank you for listening.